I will sing forever of your love. Come down with my hands to heaven, shout your praises loud. I was lost in darkness when you pulled me out. I will sing forever of your love. Come down.
God, we praise you, Father, for the grave is empty. It is because of your Son, our Savior's resurrection, that we have such glorious hope. We pray that you would help us to live every single day reflecting that hope to everyone around us. May our lives be a constant praise to you. Amen.
as we continue in worship, we have an opportunity to give back to God from all that he has blessed us with as our ushers come forward to receive our tithes and offerings. And you may be seated as we continue to sing.
be seated. As we think about what it means to surrender our all to God, one of the ways we do that is through prayer for ourselves, for others. So we're going to spend a few moments praying together. If you would like to come, you feel like today you want to kneel as you offer your prayers, kneel in your seat or come here to the altar and kneel, feel free to stand, whatever you'd like to do as uh, we spend some time praying together. Father, we come today declaring that all we are, all we have, is yours. Our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our thoughts, our attitudes, our actions, yours. We pray that you will continue to offer your grace to us. And that we would be ready to receive it, that you might... Transform us into the people that you created us to be. Father, we thank you for your work in our lives, but we pray not just for ourselves, we pray for others. We're thinking this morning of of needs right here among us. We pray, Father, today for those who are grieving, the family of Jill Tyson, for... Bill Getty and his family, the death of his brother, and others, we pray your comforting presence for them. We pray for those who are struggling with illness and pain. We ask that your healing grace would be upon each of them, upon Willis Beardsley and Doris Esepian, Blanche Weaver and Tammy Dunmire, Luke Heisinger and Wade Marsh and Sheldon Emerson, and upon Doug Bogdan, Barb Rangel, Bob Jobert, Laurel Buker, on Bill Getty, and Morn and Ella Woolsey, and Phil Muker, Mike Raybuck, and Bevrett, Micah Christensen, and Linda Roth, and Dick Gould, Emily Cricklar, and others who may be on our minds today, bring healing grace to each of them. Father, we thank you for the ministries of this church, and we, we are so grateful for people who give of themselves to minister to others. But we also thank you for the ministry of other churches as we see your kingdom in other places at work. And we pray today for the First Day Baptist Church in Richburg and Pastor Larry Allen. Pour out your blessing upon this group of people as they worship you today and as they love one another and as they love those around them and become light in the midst of darkness. And we pray your grace in every way upon this congregation of people. We pray, Father, for the Uh, educational institutions that are so connected to our lives. For Houghton College and Houghton Academy, completing a week of classes and getting back into things, and we pray this will be an awesome year for students, faculty, staff, administrators. We pray also for public schools right around us and for every student, for every faculty member, for every administrator and staff member. Pour out your blessing on each one of these schools. And that they will be places where, where people encounter you as, and know you. And, and we pray that you will allow your children to bear witness to you. 
and that we might reveal more and more of who you are to those who do not know. Lord, we pray for those who serve you in places of the world and for the strands as they work in Buffalo, in the inner city, and among refugees, and for Ray and Mary Selden who are transitioning from Haiti to a church in Virginia. Pour out your blessing on them as well. And Lord, we, we cannot come together without thinking about our brothers and sisters around the world who face opposition, persecution, threats, even martyrdom for their faith in you. We pray today for Asia Bibi in Pakistan and this appeal coming up in October that may be her last effort to avoid execution. We pray your grace upon her even as she waits, that she will be filled with your peace. We pray for the church there in Pakistan that they will know strength and faith and may they sense your presence. And in everything that happens, we pray that they will bear witness to who you are in the midst of very difficult circumstances. Father, as we move into this, this special time of, of gatherings this week, we pray your anointing upon A.J. as he speaks. We pray that you would uh, anoint his words, his heart, his mind, his body. Give him strength. Give him the word that we need to hear. And give us ears that are open to hear it. We thank you for these days and we look forward to the long-term, eternal effects of these days together. Thank you for hearing our prayers today, Lord. We offer them in the strong and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today's scripture reading comes from Mark 2, 13 through 17. Would you please stand for the reading of the gospel? Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. You did uh, take a moment, introduce yourself to someone around you, greet one another, share the, the grace and love of Christ with each other.
It's great to see you as uh, we gather for worship today. We especially want to welcome those of you who may be back uh, to school or maybe here for the first time. And we are so excited to have you here. We love having you here. Uh, we love having you in worship. We love having you involved in the ministries of the church, those that take place in the buildings and outside of them. And you see in your bulletin a whole lot of ways in which you can be involved. Um, I am convinced, I know this from my own life when I was your age, a couple of years ago, uh, when that uh, being involved in ministry to others is so important to spiritual life. And so we would love to have you involved in ministry. There are a couple of sheets in there that are sort of generic about being involved in a wide variety of things, children, youth, adults, music, uh, whatever may, you know, may grab you, wherever your gifts are, things you want to do. We love having you involved and uh, being a part of this, this church. You're a big part of that. Um, we also, you also notice that we are uh, starting Sunday school classes, and most of them are taking place now during the service. We are starting a new class at 11, and uh, Don and Jeannie Little are going to uh, share just a minute about that class, invite you to be a part of it, and uh, it's a chance to, uh, to connect in a little different way, a little more intimate way than you're able to in a larger worship setting. Good morning. Good morning. We are excited to be able to announce a new Sunday School class. Uh, it's going to happen during the 11 o'clock service, so if you're here and you hang out for a few minutes after, then you can have the, we'll have the class right after this service. We're calling it Connection. Uh, we hope to help foster connections between college students and other members of the church community. Um, and we also want to foster our connection with God. We would particularly like to invite you, who attend this service, because most of the other Sunday School options are happening right now. So if you want to be involved in a more personal way, you can't do it because you're here. So this is why we're doing it for people, especially you guys in this service. Um, just to say a little bit about what we see this being like, um, I would call it a gathering we're having. I don't really like the word class. I, I like the sense that, that we'll be meeting together and um, trying to experience more of our relationship with one another, but also with God. Um, we will also be evolving because this is kind of new, we'd like to hear what people's desires and interests are in the class. Um, but generally, Don and I have uh, long had an interest in questions like, how do we deepen our intimacy with God? How do we hear God's voice? And how do we make that long journey that I think many of us experience from what we know about God to how we experience His presence in our life? We very much see ourselves as on a journey, and we'd love to have others join us in this journey in, in towards God. Um, we're meeting in the big classroom below the sanctuary. It's sort of right there. You go down the hall. It's the middle classroom on this side of the building. Um, it's called the Good Shepherd Room. But we're set up in the community room, which is behind us in the education wing, uh, you're going to go there and get a coffee or a hot chocolate or a tea and then bring it down to the classroom. So hopefully we'll see some of you or lots of you in a, after the service. Thanks. Thank you. If you don't know where the community room is, you go out either one of the, like go out the side door 
and just walk that way and you'll see it back that direction and we'll try to have some folks there who can direct you. We'd love to have you be involved in uh, this opportunity to uh, connect in a more intimate way with uh, each other as well as uh, with others who may be part of the class. Uh, there are a couple other things happening today that I want to uh, make you aware of. Last May, many of you may not have been here, but in May, we, uh, we talked about the, um, the burden, the need uh, about refugees in this world. If you pay any attention to the news, you see a lot and read a lot about the millions of people who are fleeing their homeland, typically because of war or because of ethnic conflicts. Uh, many of the refugees are Christians who are fleeing persecution. And um, it just seemed to us had a burden about trying to do something to help, trying to be engaged with it. When we read the scriptures, we hear God over and over again telling Israel to care for people who are strangers and aliens, in essence, refugees. And in fact, Jesus himself was a refugee. And uh, one of the reasons we named this the Matthew 8.20 initiative is because it's the passage that says that Jesus had nowhere to lay his head. And uh, we had a real burden about that. And so our, one of the things that we started this, this initiative was to really to accomplish three things. One was to make us more aware of the needs of refugees, to think about them. Another was then, from that point, to pray for them. Uh, we believe in prayer. We believe that prayer changes things. And so we, we're committing ourselves to pray. And the third thing was to do something to give, to help agencies that particularly are working right directly with refugees. And so we created a booklet that went through each week. And so the goal is that uh, your, whatever your family unit may be, it may be uh, in your home, it might be in your, as roommates, it might be in a, a dorm group, it might be in your apartment, it might be a floor, it doesn't make any difference. But uh, once a week to to take about 10 or 15 minutes, read through the booklet that has a scripture, some, some thoughts about refugees, and then a prayer. And then uh, to we have these jars that we've created. There's some up here. There's a number in the back as well. Uh, and uh, just put in a dollar a week. It's, really, it's all we're asking for is a dollar a week. Because it's not so much the money as it is the engagement with this, the needs of refugees and thinking about them, praying for them, and letting God work in our hearts about them. And so uh, we, today we're collecting the funds from the first uh, quarter from last May. There are some baskets in the back, some up here in front. And if you did bring your jar today, just dump it in and then uh, grab a new booklet. We have a booklet that goes through the next three months. Grab a new booklet and uh, keep going. If you weren't a part of it before and you'd like to be, we'd love for you to join it. Again, whether you're, you live in the community year-round or you're a student, uh, there are jars in the back. There's jars up here. Just grab one, grab a booklet, and whatever way you want to use it, uh, doesn't matter. It's up to you. But just to, uh, to engage yourself in, uh, in the needs and the, the, way, the concerns of refugees. The other thing is this is the beginning Christian Life Emphasis Week. Uh, and if you are new to the community, you may or may not know what that is. It's a few days every fall that we host with the college of bringing in a special speaker and we next few days we have sort of an intensive time together and uh, so this morning uh, tonight we'll be in the chapel and uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday morning in the chapel uh, and then Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday nights uh, we will, we're welcoming A.J. Swoboda who is here from Portland, Oregon he's a pastor, he teaches in seminaries and colleges and is a great communicator uh, he is here with his uh, wife Quinn, their son Elliot, 
and uh, we're happy to have them here. He has written a number of books. I've read a couple of them. They're excellent, very insightful, and actually a couple of them are for sale in the lower uh, foyer, and please feel free to go down, pick up one or $12 a piece, or you can get them on campus later this week as well. But we're excited about having him here, him sharing with us uh, the word, and I'm going to ask him now to come and to speak. Good morning. It's a joy to be with you. Thank you so much for that um, uh, kind introduction. And thank you to both of you, you and your wife, for having me. And I want to thank as well uh, Pastor John, if you're in the room, for um, picking my wife and I up and my son at the Buffalo, the beautiful Buffalo train station uh, at 1.30 last evening. Uh, we got in at 3 this morning. And Houghton's beautiful at 3 in the morning. Um, and had, a, I think, some long conversations with John, although I don't remember many of them. So, John, if I said anything to you that was inappropriate or not truthful, I ask for your forgiveness. I am a sleep, sleep talker. Um, uh, so it, it's a joy to be with you. And I really am privileged to get to be with uh, stu- students all week. And I, I, I know I want to personally invite you to come uh, this week as we have uh, kind of a, a couple of unique opportunities uh, to be uh, together uh, over the course of the next few days. I do live in the great and weird land of Portland, Oregon. Um, I actually live uh, kind of part of Portland called the Hawthorne District, which is uh, part of the city of Portland where they actually filmed the show Portlandia, which is a beautiful documentary about my neighborhood. Um, <laughs> so if, um, if you've ever seen Portlandia, they, they literally filmed that like just a couple streets down from, from where I live. And I pastor a, a church uh, in Portland called Theophilus, and I um, as well do some teaching and, and, and writing, and overjoyed just to be able to <clears throat> share uh, over the course of the next uh, few days uh, with, with you. Uh, this morning, I want to take a little bit of time and reflect uh, with you on, <clears throat> on, on what following Jesus means and what it means when Jesus says, come uh, and follow, follow me. So I think part of this morning's conversation um, is going to surround my story. Uh, I was not raised in a Christian home. Uh, in fact, uh, my, my dad's a doctor. My mom is a nurse. Uh, I was raised in a like, very, um, very sort of sweet and low Catholic family, I, I sort of describe it. Um, very sort of minimal. I remember some of my earliest <clears throat> sort of religious memories were as a kid going uh, to, to Mass, and pretty much all I remember as a kid was snack in the middle of Mass. Uh, that was my favorite part of Mass. Um, come to find out <clears throat> years later, um, you're not really supposed to take the snack if you're not a Catholic, but I still love the snack. Um, <clears throat> uh, but sort of my earliest memories, uh, you, know, you know, were uh, of, of seeing God sort of as a spirit sort of distant, um, very loving and kind person, but um, very distant and, and very sovereign, almost almost sort of like um, I envisioned my grandfather who lived in Billings, Montana. You know, he was, he was far away, uh, uh, distant, but benevolent, right? He was, he ever, my grandpa was a great person, but he was, God was always distant in my mind. And so I, I wasn't raised really with this understanding of, of a God who personally, um, actually cared about having some sort of dialogue or conversation with with his children. And so uh, I, I sort of grew up in a religiously kind of ignorant uh, context, as it were. Even my mom, I think, to this day would say that that was the case. Um, 
uh, between the ages of 13 and 16 really were tumultuous times, um, as they are for anybody who's in middle school, first years of high school. People that say they don't believe in purgatory have never been to middle school. Um, middle school is really hard. And for me, it was just an upending experience. I didn't know who I was, very confused about my uh, identity, all these sorts of, my parents had just gotten divorced. It was a very confusing time. And uh, when I was 16 years old, which was sort of at the lowest part of that season of my life, um, I was taking a geometry math class at Canary High School, Salem, Oregon. And I was sitting in class one spring day, and these two young women, 16 years old, sophomores, were sitting behind me. And they were having an argument about when Jesus was coming back. They had been reading this book called the Left Behind series. And I listened as they argued about which Russian president was the Antichrist and why we should never get credit cards because they have the mark of the beast. And that was my introduction to Christianity. (laughs) So I went, I had never, I mean, ultimately having sort of hearing this, this argument behind me, I'd never really thought about Jesus in a substantive sort of way. So I went home and I had a copy of the Bible that my father had given to me, an old King James version of the Bible. And I sat in my room and I did that thing that you do when you have absolutely no idea what to read in the Bible. Um, I just sort of, I said, I said, God, I'm going to open this. Please speak to me if you want to. And have you ever done that? And it always turns to the weirdest place. Uh, always turns to the weirdest place. And I sat there and I opened my Bible and I sat there and for a good two hours read my Bible. And I sat there and read the entire book of Leviticus. Beginning to end, and it creeped me out to no end. <laughs> Scary stuff. <clears throat> and I got done with the book of Leviticus, and I closed my Bible, and I said, I'm going to give this one more shot, because that was, that was creepy. I'm going to try one more time. And I said, I'm going to go as far right from that as I can. And uh, I, I got to this story. I flipped my Bible open, and I read this story. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him. He began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax collector's booth. And Jesus says, come follow me. Jesus told him, and Levi got up, and he followed him. And I read that story. I read that story again, and I read it over and over and over again. And maybe you've had that experience where uh, where you read a part of the Bible, and it goes from being words on a page to um, being tattooed on your heart. And I sat, and I read that, and there was something powerful for this 16-year-old kid of this, this God who is saying to somebody, come, follow me. And about a week later, I was driving in my car in downtown Salem, Oregon, in my little red Mazda pickup truck. And I was driving to go play basketball at the YMCA. And as I was driving, I heard, I sensed Jesus say to me, AJ, come and follow me. I pulled my car over and I became a Christian on Commercial Street in downtown Salem. And I, was, and I wasn't even listening to Caleb or anything. I mean, this was like, friends, this was so, so out of the blue. I mean, this was just so obscure and so random. And I became a Christian. I've been a Christian for 19 years. And I can say with a straight face, clear heart, and a clear conscience, uh, that following Jesus has completely ruined my life. <laughs> completely destroyed my life. And when I say destroyed, when I say ruined, friends, I'm, I'm, I'm not sort of speaking in hyperbole just to be edgy. Um, 
Like Jesus has fundamentally at my core destroyed everything that I thought my life was going to be about. And I think Jesus does the same for you. In fact, I pray that Jesus destroys your life. Because Jesus never came. We, we sort of have this, I, I think, almost heretical view that when Jesus comes and he invites us, come and follow me. We have this sort of notion that Jesus' intent in our life is to bring improvement to our lives. You say, come follow Jesus and your life will get all better. And I just don't see that Jesus in this book because Jesus did not come to improve our lives. Jesus actually came to end our old one and bring us a whole new life. He actually came that our old life would die and we'd have a new one. Jesus did not come to improve the old man. He came to make new people. Friends, it is a lot easier. Say amen with me if you agree with this. It is a lot easier not following somebody who says, pray for your enemies. <laughs> it is a lot easier not following somebody who says, love the poor. It is a lot easier not having to follow somebody who says, love your neighbor. It is a lot easier. And if you're looking for, for life improvement, following Jesus probably isn't your best option. Yoga may be a good option. But friends, following Jesus is actually the ending of your life. And you get a whole new one. A whole new one. I want to talk about two aspects of how Jesus is going to ruin your life if you follow him. The first is this. And by the way, this happens all the time in the Gospels. This is not isolated to this story. You're going to find this over and over and over again. If we have any Bible scholars in this room, they're going to go, yeah, I've seen that a hundred times. If we have any Bible nerds in the room, they're going to go, I've seen that. Every time I've, I've done that Bible study, I've seen that. Time and time again, you're going to find this to be the case. And I'm f- frankly surprised that some of you didn't laugh as we were reading this because there's a very interesting transition in the story. Did you notice in verse 14, Jesus says to Matthew, come and follow me. Matthew stands up and begins to follow him. So Matthew is now following Jesus. And then verse 15, we have this, and even the commentaries notice this awkward transition. It goes all of a sudden, verse 14, Matthew, come and follow me. And now verse 15, immediately, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. And friends, I think that's kind of, there's, there's something to that that may be a little comical. Because I think ultimately Jesus, this is what I think. Point number one, if you want to follow Jesus, number one, friends. Jesus, you're going to find, is always inviting himself over for dinner. He is always inviting himself over for dinner. He is always saying, and this, that's actually what I think happened. I think Matthew is sitting in his tax collector booth. Jesus comes up to him and says, come follow me. And I think they're walking along. They're somewhere down the road. I don't know. They're walking beside the lake or going up a mountain or doing something. Whatever they do. And they're walking down the mountain. And this guy's like, here, I'm following. My life has changed. I've left the tax collector booth. I've got a whole new life. And then Jesus turns to him on the road and he says, hey, you got any food? Which friends, Jesus, what was his, what Jesus was a homeless carpenter for heaven's sake. No wonder the guy's hungry. Give him some food. Jesus has been walking around healing everybody. He's not eating himself half the time. And finally, when he is eating, he's feeding everybody else. And finally, Jesus comes along and he says, hey, hey, come follow me. But before we do anything else, uh, I got to eat. And Matthew says, all right. Jesus is like every college student I've ever known. 
College students, I'm a, I'm a professor at a university in Portland. <clears throat> college students, they're crazy. Hey, have you ever had a college student just show up and invite themselves over for dinner out of nowhere? They'll just stand on your, on your door. They'll just come to your door. They'll knock, having eaten Top Ramen for two years. Just knock. They'll knock, <laughs> emaciated, just gaunt. Hey, can I just, can I just get a home-cooked meal? By the way, <clears throat> just a little tip. You guys want to reach college students? You want to reach students at Houghton? Here's what you're going to do. Cook. It's evangelism, friends. Yeah. Yeah. I'm serious. No, no, no. Like, don't even read the Bible over dinner. That's fine if you want to read the Bible. The Bible's awesome. I believe in it. It's inspiring word of God. But listen, friends, you want to to see college students get saved? Cook them a home-cooked meal. They'll eat it and be like, I remember why I came to this school. Jesus, now you go, Jesus, this is what he does. He does it all the time. Jesus is always finding himself in people's homes and eating with people. And you go, well, that's not biblical. Jesus doesn't really invite himself over. He's speaking in metaphor. Actually, I'm not speaking in metaphor. Read your Bible, folks. The very end of the Bible, Jesus is, is speaking to the churches. He says, I am Jesus. I stand at the door and knock. If you want to eat with me, if you open up and have a meal for me, I'll eat with you. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, let me in. Now, you've got to understand the nature of Jesus because Jesus is never, Jesus is never going to bust the door down. He's never going to force his way in. Jesus has to be invited because he's, he's a gentleman. I stand at the door and knock. And by the way, the troubling part of that passage in the book of Revelation is we always hear that and go, oh, Jesus, yeah, I was just in New York City for the last week. Ah, if New York City would just let Jesus in. If those, all those non-Christians would let Jesus in. The most troubling part of that text is Jesus is speaking to his church. It is so scary to me that Jesus could stand outside the door of the church and he himself not be welcomed into his own church. I stand at the door and knock. Jesus does not care about your personal bubble. Meaning this. He is not interested in being part of the self-selected parts of your life that you want to give to him. He wants all of you. Now, we're so good at Jesus. Jesus, I love you. I so much that I will stop cussing. I commit that to you, Lord of the universe. And I'll even serve on the greeting team. Church, Lord, your Lord. Just don't ask me for my money. And don't you dare, Jesus. Listen, I'll stop cussing. I'll serve with the kids. Whatever, dude. But don't tell me who I can and can't sleep with. We're so good at that, aren't we? We're so good at letting Jesus in the front door, but he can't come into the bedroom. <laughs> Have you ever had that host who they let you in their bedroom? They let you in their, in their living room? Bedroom. <laughs> Look at my bedroom. You can't even come and eat. Have you ever had that, that guest, that, that host who they'll let you in the front area, but they, there's other parts of the house that you know that they're not letting you into because they're totally embarrassed by it. That's what we do with Jesus. 
We say, Jesus, come in, but don't, please, just don't touch the stuff. Don't disturb us. You can come and eat, but don't. And Jesus is not interested in partial discipleship. He wants all of you. Now, friends, look at this. This Bible 101. Have you noticed Jesus? You know who Jesus is. It turns out Jesus is not just a really good teacher. Jesus actually had some oomph to him. You know what his oomph was? He was God. Fully God, fully human. Not half and half, fully, fully. Jesus was fully God, fully human. The whole Christian church has been teaching that for 2,000 years. Um, Jesus was fully God. He was fully human. That means as full God, John 1 says that before all things were made, he was with the Father. He was there. Let me sort of unpack that. Let me tweet that for you. Here's what that means. It means this. Jesus was there and helped invent water. He helped put the rings around Saturn. Have you ever had a burrito and gone, how is it so good? Do you know food didn't have to be this good? He was the one who made food good. Okay. He was, friends, this guy, Jesus, can do all things. I mean, if you can invent water, pretty much everything else is just sort of an afterthought. He can do anything. All power, all authority, he can do all things. All the omnis, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipower, all of the omnis are his. He can do everything. You find it interesting, don't you? The number of times in the Gospels that this God, this guy who can do anything, is borrowing people's stuff. Now think about that. The, the number of times in the Gospels where Jesus borrows somebody's donkey or borrows somebody's boat or he borrows somebody's living room or he borrows somebody's money or he borrows somebody, this little kid in John, he borrows this little kid's sack lunch and he feeds thousands of people with it. Jesus is always borrowing stuff from people. Why? Is it because Jesus is bereft of being able to create things? No, this guy invented Saturn for heaven's sake. Why is he borrowing stuff? Here is why. Jesus borrows stuff because he knows if he can get to your stuff, he can get to you. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. We love our stuff more than we love Jesus. The older I get, this is, scares me to death. I was on a plane last week. Have you ever listened to the, 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 when the plane, they're coming down, and they have to say to you, they have to say to you, if this plane crashes, leave your stuff on board and get off. You know why? Because we as Americans would rather harm our stuff than die than lose our stuff and live. We, friends, the older I get, I'm 35 years old. It scares me to death. More and more and more I'm finding I don't own stuff. My stuff owns me. It scares me to death. Some of us are wondering, why in the world? And Jesus is going to do that. He's, he's going to come over. He's going to invite himself over. He's going to ask to borrow some of your stuff. And you're going to, why are you so intrusive, Jesus? And Jesus is brilliant. It turns out Jesus was brilliant. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus knew what he was saying. Some of us are going, I'm having the hardest time connecting with God. I'm having the hardest time connecting at church. I'm having the hardest time finding any sense of depth in my relationship with Jesus. And the last time you wrote a tithe check was in the Ronald Reagan administration. The last time you gave to the poor was like five years ago. The last time you took out of your pocket something that meant something and gave it to somebody else. The last time you gave Jesus anything. And you're wondering why you're feeling so 
shallow in your relationship with Jesus. If you're feeling shallow in your relationship with Jesus, give something away. Give to the poor. These refugee cans, fill these up. 6.5, how many million refugees are there? 65 million refugees. What you do to the least of these, you do to Jesus. Jesus is going to invite himself over. Secondly, not only is Jesus going to invite himself over, and again, if you're looking for some impersonal God who's not interested in being in your life, do yoga, not Christianity. Not only is Jesus going to invite himself over, secondly, (laughs) I promise you, Jesus will always bring over people you can't stand. Always. Look at this story. Jesus, first of all, gets in trouble for who he's eating with. The the sinners, the sinners and tax collectors, the religious people can't stand this. What are you doing, Jesus? Eating with these people? You don't eat with these people. You're a rabbi. You you don't eat with these lowly third class citizens. You don't eat with them. What are you doing? They say to his disciples, "What are you doing with these tax collectors and sinners?" Jesus is always eating with people who get get him in trouble. I love Leonard Sweet. A a good friend of mine said, "That's the gospel. The gospel. When you think of it, when you boil it down, the simplicity of the gospel is this: is that a really, 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 really good God eats really, really good food with really, really bad people. That's the gospel. God eats with you. That's the gospel. But not only that, friends. Not only does Jesus eat with people who get him in trouble." You're going to find this to be the case too, that Jesus, he's going to call you. He's going to invite you, come and follow me. And without you even knowing it, you're going to be shocked by this. He's going to call somebody else. And you're probably not going to like him. Look at this. Jesus calls Matthew the tax collector. That's who this guy is. What an unfortunate last name. Right? Imagine the tax collector. If your name was Mike and you worked for the IRS, Mike, the IRS guy. What an unfortunate name. What an unfortunate... Why did they call him Matthew the tax collector? Well, that's what he did. That was his job. And what does that mean when you're a tax collector in the first century? You know what it means? This is what it means. It means your your well-being, your sustenance, your family's provision comes out of the government. You, you cut, what you do is you take taxes, you take a little bit for yourself and you pass it on. You are dependent, as it were, on a big government. <laughs> Matthew, the tax collector, his entire job, he was a gover- big government guy. And I'm going to say something. Some of you are going to want to leave the church immediately. Don't leave. Matthew, he was a Democrat. Boom, boom, boom. And he calls this big government guy. He says, come follow me. And little does Matthew know. I mean, he doesn't even know this. He's not going to know this for some time. And he's going to be very disturbed when he does find out. That not only has Jesus called Matthew the tax collector, but he has called Simon the Zealot. What an unfortunate last name. Simon the Zealot. Why is he called a zealot? Who in the world calls themselves the zealot? Simon the Zealot. You know what he was? He couldn't stand Rome. 
He wanted it to crumble to the ground. He couldn't stand it. He thought it was evil. He thought it was bad. He thought it was wrong. He was a small government guy. He didn't want any of it. He spent his life fighting government, getting rid of the government. He didn't want government to be in his house, in his bedroom. He wanted government to just get out of the way. He was a Tea Party guy. Libertarian, somewhere in the middle. And what's so fundamentally crazy about the life of Jesus is that Jesus says, Matthew, pro-government guy, big government guy, come follow me. And Simon the Zealot, Mr. Anti-Government guy, he says to both of them, come follow me. It is as though Jesus is saying, your politics are cute. But can you follow me? Friends, I've been traveling the country for the last couple years, speaking and teaching at colleges and and, and churches, and I gotta tell you this. The church of Jesus is dead to the degree that we are one because we agree on politics. And friends, here's why. Our life, friends, this room, you would be shocked at the people in this room who you can't stand. This room is forged by the blood and mercy of Jesus Christ. Nothing else. Some of you are Trump fans. Here's my prayer for you. That God would put a Hillary Clinton fan in your path who loves Jesus. And you're gonna have to love him. Here's my prayer for the Hillary Clinton fans that you would find some Donald Trump fan in your small group in this church and have to love them. Anne Lamont said, you know that you've created God in your own image when God hates everybody that you hate. And the truth is, friends, when Jesus creates community, when Jesus creates a church, he does it around himself, not around our ideologies. We all love the book of Jonah. Have you read the book of Jonah? And the book of Jonah, what does Jonah do? Jonah goes to Nineveh. He preaches the good news to all of Nineveh. And he goes and preaches. And friends, you want to know, talk about an effective missionary trip. He goes and preaches to Nineveh. And the whole city, the king, gets, gets saved. So much so, friends, that the text says, even the cows repented. Not bad. Did you know your ministry is strong when 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 Cows are getting saved in your church. Crazy ministry. Have you ever read, that's Jonah 1 through 3. You ever read Jonah 4? Nobody ever preaches on Jonah 4 because it's the weirdest text in the whole Bible. You know what happens in Jonah 4? What does Jonah do? He sits under a tree and he weeps and he says, God, why don't you kill me? Why would he do that? Thousands, millions just came to God and he's sitting under a tree weeping and saying, God, why did you even bore me into this world. Do you know why? Because Jonah was haunted by the fact that God loved his enemies. Jonah was a racist. And he sits under a tree and he says, God, how could you, how could you love these people? Friends, here is the huge, big, hard part of being a Christian. If you're a Christian, you have to love your enemies. Why? Because God loved you when you were an enemy and made you his son as his daughter and his daughter. To find your enemy, to love them, to extend grace, to say even God loves my enemies. 
That is your calling. He's always going to bring people you can't stand. It's, I'm going to close with this. It's, it's, I've, I've, I've often, often said this. I think every single person in this room, every single person in this room, you don't even know this, but you're sitting there. You have in your back pocket a piece of paper. You didn't even know it. Secretly, it was put there. Don't look. It's not really there. But it, <laughs> Every single one of us have a piece of paper in our back pocket right now. And that, it's a list. And do you know what's on that list? Here's what's on the list. It's, a, it's an unpublished list of names of people that we hate. Nobody else knows, you know it. And what Jesus is saying is Jesus wants you to take that list out and look at it. And he wants you to look at those people not with hatred, but with love. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, your Bible, God, your word, this text is so good. Would you forgive us, God, for the times that we've sat under the tree so angry that you loved our enemies. God, would we repent of that and rejoice in the fact that you are calling all enemies to yourself. There is not, God, you don't want any to perish. God, we rejoice that the good news of Jesus is for all people of all times, even the ones that we disagree with. God, would we learn to love the other who loves Jesus in a way that blows the world away? Would we be different, God? And would you teach your church how to smuggle the love of Christ into this world? We love you. Please destroy our lives and give us a whole new one. In the name of Jesus, amen. Please stand as we sing. Christ is my reward and all of my devotion. Now there's nothing in this world that could ever
remind you about the Sunday school class. Love to have you be a part of that. Just go right outside and down to the back, and uh, there'll be people there to uh, help you get connected. Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.